0: Hey, Fidelity.
1: What's it cost to invest with the Fidelity app?
0: Start with as little as $1 with no account fees or trade commissions on U.S. stocks and ETFs. Hmm. That's music to my ears. I can only
2: talk.
3: Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Zero account fees apply to retail brokerage accounts only. Sell order assessment fee not included. A limited number of ETFs are subject to a transaction-based service fee of $100. See full list at Fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC.
4: Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Kingston here with Mike Santoli, Morgan Brennan here at Post Nine of the New York Stock Exchange. Jim and David have the morning off. July jobs comes in with a second straight miss, 187,000, with some negative revisions. Two straight months now below 200K. Pre-market pretty steady as we look over last night's stack of earnings as well. Our roadmap begins with that cooling labor market. July payroll growth below expectations. What does that mean for the Fed?
5: Plus, Apple weighing on the markets, the company delivering a surprise profit and record services revenue, but says weakness in PC and iPad could continue to drag down sales. And
3: Amazon shares rallying after reporting blowout profit beating on sales, uh, and the company issuing optimistic guidance as well.
4: Interesting internals in the jobs report this morning. As we said, uh, 187K, unemployment 35 average hourly earnings a touch hot but the work week shrank mike so total weekly pay actually below expectations
3: i think it all nets out to consistent with a slowing but still tight labor market and a relatively soft landing for the economy um you did have those downward revisions as you mentioned so decelerating but also the lower unemployment rate implies it's just not a huge supply of idle workers to uh to draw from here the main market kind of bank shot on this is what does it mean for treasury yields that's been the story all week you've had longer term yields really going higher not much because of repricing what the feds going to do but just in general a lot of dynamics pushing in that direction mispositioning japan yields a lot of things happening anyway the yields have cooled off at least right now Uh, they're at the top end of their range back uh, to uh, the fall october november
5: yeah as rick santelli pointed out when we did get that jobs report uh, hitting the tape earlier Treasury yields largely unchanged, if anything, down slightly, at least the 10-year yield right now. And you're seeing that actually give lift to equities here. I realize small gains pre-market, but in a week where we're down and we saw some larger moves, some of the largest moves, daily moves for the S&P, for example, that we've seen in a couple of months. I realize we haven't seen very big moves in the last couple of months. Um, You know, it's certainly notable.
3: No, there's definitely been a little bit of a break in the calm. uh, Momentum. Uh, has flagged clearly. Uh, we came out of July running very hot. Everyone agreeing we're probably going to have to cool off seasonally. I think the question is, you know, we've down two and a half, three percent from the highs in, in a week. Uh, that's nothing basically in terms of pullbacks. But we did have a similar, very stunted pullback in June uh, into July. So uh, it would be the, the absolutely perfect bullish scenario if, if everyone bought this very shallow dip. I think there's a lot to ask. You have to see many things move together at once because you, aside from the seasonal effects, uh, you do have still overbought conditions in some areas. And then just the earnings reactions. Earnings have been good, well above expectations, consistent with the idea that earnings are, have troughed in the second quarter. But the ones that are missing are getting punished hard. The ones that are beating are not really getting rewarded that much. It shows you that the market had kind of got to that spot before we heard the Does
4: results. Does it do anything uh, to help? Uh, visibility through August, right? I mean, the, the Kramer's yeah. knock yesterday was that no real catalyst until Jackson Hole. Right. Dollar's a little bit lower today. Marisk is warning about lower container demand. ECB says looks like Eurozone inflation has peaked. Maybe they pause in September. Right. Um, it, it, it helps a little bit. I do think that
3: we have another job support before the, the actual Fed meeting. Uh, you're going to get inflation. Dana.
5: Yeah, CPI I mean, I think that's week. what
3: you're probably going to be looking toward. Uh, because, again, we have to remind everybody that you know, the Fed right now, it's not looking at secondary indicators and drivers of inflation and what the leads and lags. are. They want the numbers to cooperate on the actual inflation prints. And so nothing's going to supersede what they tell us.
5: Yeah, there was a, a note out from Evercore this morning um, basically talking about this move that we've seen in yields and uh, pointing to what it called catalyzed sell-offs in both September, October of 2022 and this idea that stocks have to digest what we've just seen happen here in the last uh, couple of days, last couple of weeks um, in February, March of 2023, uh, just as we were getting all the SVB and bank collapse drama and that, you know, given the fact that we are moving into a very seasonally, at least when September is concerned, week time of the year, that you could potentially start to see a little bit of that pullback uh, that we've been talking about, and a number of strategists have come on and said, we might be due for here at these levels anyway, so it's going to be one to watch.
3: Without a doubt. Um, You know, yields above 4% of the 10-year have generally not been easily digested. I mean, it's not as if it, it means anything in particular in terms of how far down stocks would have to go, but it gets everyone's attention. I think also, The fact that it's been a very muddled storyline behind the sell-off in longer-term bonds doesn't necessarily help. Um, Yeah, we got the Fitch downgrade, but global yields are going up. Mm -hmm. Um, And they weren't telling us anything we didn't know, but did it focus people on the coming supply that's going to be out there in Treasuries? Uh, And then, of course, you had just uh, people positioned for an ever steeper uh, inverted yield curve. And then, then once that goes in the other direction, people have to uh, kind of unwind. And so I, I think there's a lot of mechanical effects as well as, hey, the premise of recession risk is being taken out of the market, which yes. is not a bad thing.
4: Yeah, even B of 8 today uh, finally putting yeah. soft landing on the, on the cover of one of their reports. You mentioned uh, the Fitch downgrade, and Mike's been pretty consistent this week in arguing that it has happened in a global environment of rising yields. And it is something at least that Steve Schwartzman of Blackstone uh, talked about with our Becky Quick this morning.
3: We're running huge deficits now. So on the numbers, you can understand... Uh, why they did it. Uh, On the other hand, uh, as Jamie said, uh, because Jamie's always opinionated, I must say, uh, you know, the U.S. is the U.S. We are the reserve currency. Uh, We do defend uh, a large part of the world, uh, including people who have AAAs, Uh, and um, when there's a crisis in the world, they buy our securities. Now, that doesn't last forever if you don't keep some discipline.
4: Uh, interesting uh, comment. In, in, the, in light of the attention that's being paid to 10 year, four and a quarter, let's say, and Ackman's view of the long bond at five and a half. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's
3: no doubt about it. I mean, there's, you know, it's however you slice it and however we got here, um, real yields are higher than they were. Uh, that, that should be a restraint on the economy, it should be a little bit of a heads up. About you know just exactly how much can the the economy sustain if they continue to go higher? So all of it is 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 relevant in terms of the conversation. I just don't know uh, that you'd have the confidence to say they're gonna break out from here. You know the highest levels we've had just about except for last October since before the uh, global financial crisis. Uh, Also, again, I keep pointing out the Nasdaq is at like Nasdaq one hundred is at like fifteen thousand three hundred or something like that. We were there. In September of 2021, with the 10-year at 1.5%. So we could talk all about point. what it means that the where the yields are, uh, it doesn't necessarily compute to where stocks have to trade or where valuations have to settle.
5: Yeah, but it's, it does speak to the fact that we have seen a lot of multiple expansion this year, oh, yeah. even in a quarter where we've got earnings seasons that are that are considered to be troughing here, but right now negative, not as negative as everybody expected, but still negative.
3: Yeah, we're, it, we're trading off for twenty twenty four numbers in, in that way. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the market's trying to look ahead.
4: Speaking yeah. of which, our earnings last night were busy. Let's get to Apple beating expectations for both earnings and sales. But as you know, the third straight quarter of falling sales. CEO Tim Cook telling CNBC, quote, as you can see from the data, the U.S. did better than the previous quarter. We still were down year on year. If you look at the U.S., the acceleration is good. Or the acceleration that we saw, we're glad that it accelerated. But the smartphone industry is tough in the U.S. right now. Uh, Upside in services and Mac." but wearables, iPad, iPhone, all a little bit light.
5: Yeah, I thought it was interesting that the the numbers missed estimates for North America, but you did see that strength, uh, or at least more strength than had been expected um, for China as well, where it's been a rockier recovery, road to recovery there. So uh, that was certainly interesting. And it did seem like on the call there was kind of a a more subdued tone, if you will, and this notion now that perhaps you're going to see another revenue decline potentially, or at least a, a flat revenue number for the current quarter, despite that iPhone 15, um, which if you were to see a decline would be four straight quarters. We haven't seen that in something like 20 years for Apple.
3: Yeah, look, it's, uh, it's not easy to collect uh, $400 billion in global revenue, which is what, you know, any, <laughs> earning, any revenue growth for Apple would be if we got to that level. Um, it is interesting how you can see how the stock has performed in this very linear uptrend until very recently when it's flattened out and pulled back a little bit uh, compared to what's happened to the reported or projected earnings growth because it really is not the story of today it's not really even the story of the rest of the year now you have a lot of chatter new iphone cycle gives us something to look ahead to there's another big picture case that is often made which is yep services i mean six percent growth nice but nothing special in a world that nominal growth is growing gdp that fast However, as that just becomes a bigger piece of the pie.
5: Bigger margins. It's a
3: bigger margins. It's, a, in theory, a higher uh, valuation contributor to the overall company. So, in a way, you know, the margins of the company are migrating higher just because that's the faster-growing piece. Uh, and you,
4: you mentioned the iPhone cycle. Uh, among the analysts' reaction today is Citi with a 90-day positive Catalyst watch. And their argument is if you look at the stock's performance since 2016 between the June quarter report and September iPhone announcements outperforms the S&P every year, they argue, by an average of 8%. Yeah. So we'll see if history repeats itself.
3: Yeah. Um, no, it's true. I, you know, you'd like, uh, you'd like to maybe go back and look at which years um, the stock was already up 47% going into that period. But there's no doubt about it that you have a general uh, kind of tide higher uh, when we're getting to the new release.
5: Yeah. And overall, Wall Street still remains overwhelmingly bullish on this name. Let's stick with Apple. Uh, let's bring in Cowen's Apple analyst, Krish Senkar. He has, speaking of, an outperform rating on Apple, price target of 220 per share. Krish, you want to get your thoughts on what we heard from the management team last night and uh, what that what that means in terms of a buying opportunity right now for the stock?
2: Sure, uh, Morgan. Thanks for having me. Um, I think the biggest delta I would probably say, was in terms of the guidance heading into the print. Um, you know, the June numbers came in large inline earnings was slightly better. Part of it was driven by lower tax rate. But looking into September, I would say us on the street were about looking at 1% year over year growth. Um, based on the implied guidance, it's more like down one percent year-over-year growth. So that's like a literally a swing of two billion dollars. Not a big deal in the grand scheme of things, but I guess given the stock run up, it was enough to like probably like you know dampen some enthusiasm. But in the long term, nothing has changed in the thesis. You know, iPhone's still pretty resilient. Services growing, high margins, strong cash flow generation. So not really much to complain.
5: Yeah, those strong margins, the fact that services record revenue continues to be a growing piece of the of the broader pie here. I mean, is services enough to justify a growing valuation?
2: Um, y- y- yes and no. So the way I look at it is, I think services does help. Uh, increase the valuation because it's a high margin business, it has high growth potential. We still model it about like mid-teens growth, like 13% growth year over year in September. So that does help. The flip side is that I think where many people tend to forget is the fact that the resiliency of the iPhone, most people view iPhone as just a pure hardware. And the the pushback from bears is that it's a hardware, it's a commodity, it should be trading the low to mid-teens. The flip side is that iPhone is a very extremely important Sticky business with a very loyal install base. If you look at analog companies, like analog chips, they trade in the low to mid 20s. So why shouldn't the hardware business or the iPhone trade in that? That way you get a blended multiple north of 30 times. We
5: got some commentary on AI and machine learning as well. I think those are being viewed as core technologies um, by Tim Cook, uh, et cetera, at Apple. At what point does this become meaningful uh, to the story from a monetizational, uh, monetizable standpoint?
2: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think it's still in the very early stages. You know, I mentioned this in the past, too, that uh, there's already a neural engine built into the A and the M chips, which is the custom silicon from Apple, which has the AI algorithm, which has the inferencing capabilities, etc. So I think over time, you're going to start seeing this become more and more important. But I think they're laying the groundwork today. Do you think it's going to be significant in the next six to nine months? Probably not. Could it be a year down the road? Possibly.
5: All right. Krish Sankar, thanks for joining us. Thank you.
4: Still a lot more to come this morning. We're going to break down Amazon's blowout quarter. Shares are surging in the pre-market. Take a look at the pre-market, in fact, and we'll get to the other names. Booking Holdings, Airbnb, some auto news, uh, some uh, news on Robinhood. Uh, The network's obviously in studios in light of the recent labor strife. A lot more squawk on the street is straight ahead.
0: our teams provide global and local
3: expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager.
4: Amazon is rallying on these strong Q2 results. Biggest earnings beat since 2020. Upbeat revenue guidance for the current period, also giving the stock a boost today. This is CEO Andy Jassy on the call last night. We still see several ways in which we can be more efficient in this structure, and we believe we'll improve productivity further. We've also reevaluated virtually every part of our fulfillment network this past year and see additional structural changes we can make that provide future upside. Good margin news shows some of those cost cuts finally kicking in. It's funny to watch the analysts move collectively from about the 150 target range to 175, 180 in some cases.
5: This is the company, and this is the cycle with Amazon uh, where they make massive investments, then maybe they pull back or they sort of rejigger and and recalibrate those investments, and then they reap what they've sown. And it seems like they are in that part of the cycle where they are beginning to reap what they have sown over the last couple of years.
3: There's no doubt that that's the the suggestion from here. The the market has uh, kind of sought that out and thought we were there a couple of times in the last year or so. And that's why I think there was a bit of reserve of skepticism, Carl, in in terms of there's a sort of surface-level bullishness. It's like 90% buy ratings on Amazon. Price target's not that aggressive. The stock's been kind of disappointing. It's worn people down. Any sense that they really are serious about uh, trying to be disciplined on cost, the operating income guide for the current quarter, was well above expectations, yeah, but but you know, Morgan heard me drone about this 16 hours ago. I always love <laughs> to talk about how the, their operating income guidance range—it's three billion dollars wide. We're a third of the way through the quarter. Yes, it, They yeah. want to send the message, we're not managing to the number. We never manage to the number. But what we know now is that's how much might fall to the bottom line.
4: Yeah, And, it, it, and
3: that's, that's an upside surprise.
4: It is funny how we, we look to them for guidance and radar on the consumer. And they did say consumers are looking for value, yeah. mm-hmm. at least in North America retail. But in the end, it continues to be about a AWS and the beat there on revenue. And just the sheer size of that unit, which I think 12-month revenue is bigger than almost all S&P companies.
5: Yeah, just to put that in perspective with that stat right there. I mean, e-commerce did come in better than expected. Paid unit growth accelerated to 9% uh, year over year, and that was better than the 8% we did see in Q1. But to your point, AWS up 12%. They talked a lot about stabilization, which, which the street had been wanting to hear, and this idea that customers are starting to shift from, quote, cost optimization to new workload deployment. Uh, and speaking to all the AI offerings as part of that mix and, and what that's going to mean for future demand. Yeah, too. So
3: the annual growth rate, you can now get some more confidence that it has bottomed. It was a 12 yeah. percent. Uh, we can maybe go up from there or hold that. And it, it's similar to what I was saying about, you know, Apple and the services side growing faster than the rest. Uh, the bull case uh, we've been hearing on Amazon is when AWS is clearly the, the biggest growth driver, certainly of the valuation and the highest margin business, the entire company therefore has better economics over time. Uh, That being said, I I don't think they want, you know, to run the e-commerce business as a logistics heavy, satisfy the customer at any cost, no margin left for for shareholders. And And, you know, this quarter suggests that's not what they're after.
5: No, but it was interesting when Andy Jassy sat down with John Ford a couple weeks ago, because he did say that when they run the logistics network, um, to, to, to be faster and deliver faster for customers, that that actually tends to be more lucrative to them, which I thought was very interesting and kind of counterintuitive yeah. uh, in terms of that conversation. Um, where Amazon is concerned, I just also thought it was interesting that we had strong cloud results from Microsoft. We had strong cloud results from Google. There had been the sense that maybe they're continuing to take market share, and then we get uh, a number that was better than expected and some good commentary from AWS too. Perhaps just going back to the AI, piece of the puzzle. This speaks to, despite uncertain macroeconomic environment, that you are shifting or seeing the shift in terms of a a new secular um, growth story for customers and what they're going to do and what they're going to need for cloud. Yeah, yeah,
3: and Microsoft indicated up five bucks this morning. So I do think you're you're seeing some reallocation out of Apple into the other stuff. Uh, But it does go to that point, okay, maybe not a dogfight zero-sum
4: game at the moment. Right. Uh, Which is interesting. I mean, Fortinet is a different story in a sense, given uh, the focus on cyber. But the billings missed there and the guidance lower on billings for Fortinet uh, is going to bring that name down almost 20 percent pre-market and some of the other cyber names with it. So software, uh, not a homogenous story by any means this morning.
5: Yeah. And that's interesting, too, because cybersecurity and and the spend on that. Uh, especially as, as the world becomes more and more digitized, uh, has been, again, anoth- seen as another secular growth story. Uh, so the fact that you're, you're seeing these results come in uh, weaker than expected, I think, is part of the reason why you're seeing the stock get hammered as hard as you are. All right, well, still to come, acting US Labor Secretary Julie Sue joins us first on CNBC to break down today's jobs report and just getting a check on the futures this morning as well. Everything's indicated to open a little bit higher, particularly the NASDAQ, as that big move in Amazon this morning powers the markets. Stay with us. we got more Squawk on the Street when we return.
3: At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need.
1: Is there anything you can't do?
3: Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything.
1: At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Are
3: people starting to go to a lower star rating? We're not seeing that. Are people going for a length of stay that's shorter than the past? Not seeing that either. So we really aren't seeing any signs of slowdown right now. And I'm just thrilled that people are spending their money on travel.
4: That was Booking Holding CEO Glenn Fogel earlier on Squawk Box today in the wake of their results, as we said, beats across the board. It's interesting, uh, Mike, you know, we're, we're in this environment clearly now where real wage growth is a big dynamic for the consumer. Maybe they don't have to choose yeah. between travel and goods. Not yet. They certainly don't. Um, and prioritizing travel now, this was very
3: much a global story with, uh, with Booking. Yeah. Uh, they have the exposure to non-U.S. markets, and that's come roaring back and explains some of the differentiation. And boy, this stock had a really sharp little break from an all-time high, five or six percent uh, off of the three thousand level. Now it's taking it right back uh, there because, again, we've been kind of bracing for this idea that whether it's airlines or, or other areas of services are getting exhausted, but not yet seeing it in the numbers.
5: What, what? actually counter on yeah. that one and I would say because you're seeing so much international and cross-border travel not only Americans going to places right. like Europe but also China um, as we've seen the reopening happening there that's where you're seeing the strength this quarter and by the way not just in the travel names but also in like the MasterCards and visas of the world too it is the more domestically oriented airlines for example that have talked about softness in their numbers um, In terms of travel here in the country, so there has been this shift, and it does feel like it's a next chapter, if you will, or uh, maybe a a later chapter in the travel, revenge travel story.
3: And by the way, Airbnb reporting last night as well, some deceleration, which I think perhaps speaks to that. And room rates uh, coming down in hotels, so it does seem as if uh, it's it's sort of cresting, maybe, but it's not something where it seems like people are strapped.
5: No.
4: Uh, that's right. Airbnb, uh, a beat on EBITDA, a beat on revenue, but uh, nights booked up yeah. eleven was a slight miss. And of course, Host Hotels yesterday did talk about great outbound, right? Great international outbound away from the U.S., not getting reciprocal uh, inbound from especially Asia Pacific. Uh, and maybe maybe lodging is the first to crack. Right. We'll see. Uh, yeah. As opposed to air travel. Uh, let's get the opening bell here in the CNBC Real Time Exchange. On the big board today, it is USCF Investments celebrating its electrification and sustainable battery metals ETF. At the NASDAQ, it's Tiptree, an investment management and insurance holding company. Let's we'll see if the uh, Bulls can uh, make a move back above 4,500 today. We are getting some relief, Mike, at least at the moment, on yields yes. with that 10 year back to 416.
3: Yes, uh, that was uh, right after the jobs report. I think it was much more about, not that it was uh, a weak number, but people were bracing for potentially some upside surprise just because of that wild ADP figures. So now it's two months in a row where they're vastly diverging. We did see downward revisions in the jobs uh, number for previous months. So it just takes the edge uh, off the yield story. 4500 uh, maybe almost surprisingly has, has been sticky this week, I uh, would have thought maybe we we try below there, but yesterday didn't spend much time below. Uh, we'll see if that's, uh, if that's a bigger uh, driver here in terms of you know Amazon an 8% move is going to be a huge help to uh, to the bank. <laughs> yeah.
4: Yes. Well, looking at consumer discretionary up three percent
3: today. Just uh, you know what that's that. about, right? Actually, more closer to a 10% move for Amazon.
5: Yeah. Yeah, Amazon. You got Booking as well uh, showing strength and actually energy, um, which has ha- been just roaring back. Um, you know, you have you have crude at, at breakout levels here. You have gasoline at eight month highs as well. The heat wave we've seen in a, you know in, in recent weeks has only helped to you know fuel those price increases. And then you've got OPEC plus meeting this morning and and continuing with those uh, production cuts.
3: Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, I think B of A has a bunch of this rubric of what is it going to take to keep the market supported here. And one of them is will the commodity rebound? Uh, start to nudge inflation expectations higher in a way that, you know, fouls up the Fed is almost done.
4: uh, For sure. Uh, Crude's looking at six weeks up, about 18 percent move over that time. And the B of A note does mention commodities off of the one year low. Iron up 40, sugar up 38, gasoline up 35, crude up 22, so, uh, is that going to be the spoiler where we were wringing so much good energy out of uh, disinflation, deflation, in some cases, it, yes. in commodities?
3: I, I mean, you're definitely not in the danger zone in terms of where the absolute levels of those commodities are uh, or where they even have been in the last couple of years. But uh, it, it's going to, I think, reinforce the focus on the core inflation numbers. Mm-hmm. But longer-term yields do not ignore energy prices and, and and headline inflation expectations going higher so that's uh that that's the interplay
5: yeah commodities i think the other area to really kind of look at especially when you're looking at something like the smh and kind of the key technical levels it's at right now uh, as well as the fact that chip stocks which have had just a rip-roaring year and are economically sensitive as well much like commodities also seem to be losing some momentum here it's been a little bit more of a mixed picture uh, i think in terms of earnings there too
3: Oh, for sure, and, and certainly the response to earnings. I mean, the AMD uh, sell-off after you know what, what arguably were were pretty on target numbers, uh, and just an unwillingness to to really give them a lot more credit in uh, in advance for for some of the AI stuff. Nvidia, I mean, it had at most like a high single digits pullback, but it hasn't really been powering higher as much in the last uh, couple of weeks. Yeah.
4: Um, some reaction to uh, some consumer news we've gotten over the last couple of days. I didn't notice Wayfair, which had that monster move yesterday. Today, Barclays uh, goes to 85, uh, Stevens goes to 105. I don't know, I mean, is how pressured can the consumer be if they're buying furniture uh, <laughs> and, and, and delivering some profits finally to Wayfair at this kind of level?
5: It's interesting because, so on overtime earlier this week, we had GXO CEO on uh, on the heels of that company's earnings. And you talk about uh, logistics and brokerage, that's what that company does. Uh, and one of the things he talked about was green shoots, maybe a bottoming out in the freight market, which has been in, you know, quote unquote recession for the last couple of months uh, plus. But also the fact that they're seeing green shoots in retail and in e-commerce. Uh, and, and there are signs that, that that's coming back to life too, which, by the way, we heard from the CEO of CSX uh, a couple weeks ago as well, um, with things like domestic intermodal. So perhaps to your point, um, some signs that yes, people are still spending on services and things like travel, but maybe a little bit more despite, or I guess, in, in the wake of the de- this inventory destocking, we've seen on goods. too.
3: Yeah, some normalization, I think, is the way people have been phrasing. If you looked at the long-term charts of, of goods consumption, it just so overshot vastly. And then we've just gone sideways from there and down and then sideways. So we're still uh, consuming plenty relative to, to pre-pandemic levels. So I don't think uh, it's necessarily the case that uh, we were expecting, you know, multiple years of that inventory uh,
4: rationalization. Uh, watch crypto today. There's a bunch of news uh, yeah. regarding uh, Revolut, of course, in the U.S. And then Coinbase uh, today. EBITDA beats, revenue beats, but they do guide light on Q3 sub-revenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, more interestingly, they uh, are continuing to comment on their battle with uh, with regulators. And, and some commentary sees a, uh, a bipartisan pathway to some regulation regarding crypto over the medium term.
5: Yeah, for better or worse, Coinbase is really the company that it was stood up with... Uh with some regulation or future regulation in mind. And now that it is engaged in this legal battle with the SEC, it is kind of forging the path forward in terms of the regulatory environment, the legal precedent around uh, what trading in cryptocurrencies and the classification of cryptocurrencies is going to look like. And that actually got my attention, too, the commentary that, quote, in the U.S., we're beginning to see a pathway for bipartisan legislation that could enshrine consumer protections and an equitable market structure framework um, this has been sort of seen as kind of the thing that's going to be the overhang on the stock, yet maybe not so much. Yeah, I mean, shares the, are basically trading around the flat line right now.
3: And, and the, even really the regulators have wanted Congress to try and, you know, essentially break this and say, let's let's have something solid on yeah. paper that says you what You heard the from the Bitcoin
5: are. maximalists like Michael Saylor yeah. on the show earlier in the week too.
3: Yeah, so clarity is, uh, is what's the, although Coinbase also dealing with, Severely lower uh, transaction volumes. There's a yeah. little bit more of a kind of take rate was higher in the retail, but that was sort of a mixed uh, situation. And uh, you have Robinhood this week as well as Coinbase. Just talk and, and Block as well, which is down pretty big on one. those numbers. All talking about we got to get smart on costs and reducing the footprint. And it's happening with things like Robinhood, which, you know, frankly, are subscale. I mean, if you look at the business model. So they're getting smart about costs because the growth isn't getting them to the profitable,
4: you know, spot in their right. business. Um, we should mention Amazon, awfully close to a one-year high uh, this morning, which is going to reflect uh, on on the mega cap uh, tech names. Although I, I am curious, Mike, on your thoughts on industrials because earlier it was about Caterpillar, yeah. uh, Ingersoll Rand, Eaton have all been putting together some remarkable performances. And today's floor. Today it's floor uh, with a Q2 beat and they do guide higher. Stocks up uh, uh,
5: 10%. Industrials seem to be. Hitting this sweet spot that we've talked about and anticipated in terms of uh, price increases, top line increases, um, keeping pace uh, against costs and and supply chain. Now those things are starting to normalize and now they're starting to reap the benefits.
3: And the fact that we have kind of a, a CapEx boom in multiple parts of the economy. Yes, yeah, so you have
5: secular spending, yeah. you have these fiscal packages, uh, you have reshoring and nearshoring, uh, and all of that does seem to be a tailwind that's going to last uh, for the coming years, really.
4: Uh, meantime, the U.S. did add 187,000 jobs in July, slightly less than the 200,000 expected. Unemployment ticks down to 3.5. Joining us this morning from the White House with reaction at first on CNBC is Julie Sue, acting U.S. Secretary of Labor. Uh, Madam Secretary, good to have you. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you so much. Good morning. Um, I, just your
4: thoughts about uh, the deceleration here and whether it's happening in an environment where uh, the labor market can stay resilient or not.
1: Right. So this is an example of what slow and steady growth looks like, right? We've seen now over 13.4 million jobs added since the president came into office. Um, This is a number that reflects that we are continuing to grow um, jobs at the same time that we continue to see historically low unemployment rates. This is still less than 4 percent for the longest stretch since the 1960s. It's been over a year and a half of such low unemployment rates at the same time that we continue to see very high labor force protection. Participation rate, especially among prime age workers, ages 25 to 54, altogether a strong report and sign of good, strong, steady uh, growth and the, you know, why the President Biden's economic policies are working for the country.
4: You mentioned labor force. 62.6 uh, was in line, but the, the market really would love to see a 63 handle. We haven't really gotten that uh, in a couple of years. And I'm wondering whether you think there's the ingredients for a a significant portion of labor to return to the supply?
1: So we have seen workers return to the labor market not only at pre-pandemic rates, but above pre-pandemic rates. Back in 2008, after that great recession, it took 10 years to return to this level. So we've seen a return. We've seen a return across across communities that women have powered the economic recovery. They were devastated during COVID, have come back at record numbers. And at this point, I think that what it's gonna take to further increase labor force participation is gonna be addressing some of the structural issues that keep workers out of the labor market. Things like childcare, right, affordable, reliable care that is that impacts the women's ability to participate in the labor market. But with short of that, we've definitely seen uh, people return to work, it's clear that workers want to work, that they feel confident about their prospects in the labor market, that people are leaving jobs for better jobs, and all of these things continue to be signs of a good, strong economy.
5: Uh, average hourly earnings, the, those rose uh, 4%, 0.4 percent, 4.4 percent annual pace here. We know the Fed uh, has been in this tightening hike also, is looking to bring inflation down, also know that the administration has this Bidenomics approach of uh, working from the middle out. So what's your response to that number and the fact that wages do continue to be stronger and potentially continue to tribute, contribute to that, to that higher inflation rate?
1: Right. Thanks for saying that. Right. For, for President Biden, the economic plan, Bidenomics relies on this idea that we can build an economy that leaves no one behind, that working from the middle out and the bottom up Rather than a top-down, is a is the most solid way to build a strong Brazilian economy in which everyone gets their fair chance. Part of this has been real wage growth, and what we're seeing with that is. Consumer spending, right, which has also been really key to this economic recovery. People feeling confident enough to do things like, you know, when you look at this, this jobs report, people are going back to normal, using things like, go, you know, going get their hair cut, go, going to the nail salon. Those are sectors in which we have seen some growth in the last month. And there are signs that when you increase wages, especially for the lower and middle income um, groups, that that is both an equity issue, but also a strong economy issue.
3: Uh, Although, Madam Secretary, when you, just to follow along those lines, when you look at polls and there's dissatisfaction with the economy seeming to focus mostly on inflation and how much prices have risen in recent years, how do you think the very tight labor market plays into that if, in fact, Mm -hmm. that's considered to be part of uh, the input to, to higher prices?
1: Well, so we're also seeing uh, inf- the inflation rate slow, right? We're seeing that um, prices are lower now than they were a year ago, significantly. Whether that's in things like gas or your, you know, basic g- uh, groceries, and I think that the combination of workers having um, more uh, wages that are um, a- a- outpacing inflation, therefore giving them more buying power, and the tight labor market you mentioned, which is that you know workers can make more demands in the workplace. They can choose jobs that have the conditions that are we, we, we think about as being part of a good job, right? Good wages, uh, security, upward mobility, uh, benefits, uh, security and retirement, that those kinds of things are all part of what the president says when, you know, he says he wants to build an economy in which workers do well. And when workers do well, employers still prosper and America is stronger.
5: So what does that mean in terms of some of the labor strife that we have seen take place. Whether it's UPS and the Teamsters, where I realize they've just struck a tentative deal and now uh, those workers will vote on it. Whether it's the writers and the actors or perhaps more pressingly, uh, at least from a Wall Street standpoint, The negotiations that are taking place between the uaw and the big three automakers where the unions making quote unquote to use its own words audacious wage and benefit demands and you have the likes of gm countering and saying that this is going to threaten their ability to do what's right for the long-term benefit of the team how are you navigating that what is the role that you're playing in some of these negotiations
1: so we have seen that the UPS and Teamsters reach a tentative agreement, right? We often see that that collective bargaining process—it's not always pretty as it's going through. Um, you know, people say things during the process, but as we've seen in a couple of very high-profile, big examples, the collective bargaining process works. So the UPS and Teamsters uh, came to a tentative agreement, affecting 340,000 working people. Uh, the ports on the West Coast, right? 29 ports affecting 22,000 workers also reach a tentative agreement, mm-hmm. and. For UAW, right, and the, the, that conversation that they're still at the bargaining table and trying to resolve. And a lot of these are, you know, they're they're tough issues, right? They're grappling with things like workers have worked through a pandemic, um, many employers have seen record profits, and those uh, union employers coming together to try to figure out what is a, what does a good job look like? How are we going to do right by working people? Build, build our, our, a stronger um, industry. Think about the long term. All of those things are happening at the bargaining table, and we are seeing. Um, and we're seeing good results. The president believes, as I do, in the collective bargaining process. That includes, you know, the, the, the right of workers to, um, to exercise uh, all the rights that they have in that space. And as we, the examples that we've seen that have resolved demonstrate just why that process works.
5: But, but what is the role that you yourself as acting labor secretary in the administration, what is the role that you're playing? How active are you on this, especially when you think about something like the UAW, where the sticking point is going to be this shift to evs where maybe perhaps not as many people are needed longer term to put those cars together
1: right so the president's economic plan is based on a belief that we can both do right by our climate, right, address the climate crisis, and create good jobs in all communities. And these kinds of transitions also do—they—they—they—they you know, they, they they, they create issues that um, that require some amount of uh, of, uh, of planning and change. That's partly what the collective bargaining process allows is for people to come together to address that kind of change. We get involved if, uh, if if our involvement can be productive, if it can be helpful. Um, we've seen situations in which that is the case. We've also seen times in which uh, to trust the process means to allow the parties to do what they know how to do best, which is resolve their issues together at the table. Right. I,
4: I think, I mean, we, we brought you on to talk about the jobs number, but the, the UAW uh, negotiations are so key. Does the White House eventually have to comment on whether or not a 40% pay hike over four years is is constructive or or feasible or responsible?
1: Well, I think the only people who can decide whether a contract is fair is the members, right, is the workers themselves. Uh, But as we have seen in the examples so far, um, this White House, this administration, the most pro-worker, pro-union administration in history, as the president says, respects the process and respects the ability of parties to come together to resolve them. In the, uh, for the UAW, they are fairly early on in their negotiations. And we've seen in examples that, that um, we can get involved and be productive in the right situations and know when to, uh, when to stay out and let the parties figure it out themselves.
4: Uh, that deadline's coming up. I'm sure we'll talk more about it in the coming weeks. Uh, Julie Sue, Acting Labor Secretary, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Uh, meantime, market's getting a little bounce here. Dow's up almost 200. We've talked about some of the, the relief we're getting in fixed income. Dollar down, uh, Mike, as uh, we're back below 102.
3: Yeah, a little bit of an of a unclenching of, uh, of some of those concerns that we did have there. Uh, and it's uh, it's a little bit mixed on the uh, on the NASDAQ side. It's kind of a 50-50 day there, but it's being obscured by a big uh, move higher uh, in uh, in Amazon. You know, banks have been a, uh, a strong point this week, and uh, they're... Uh, you know, essentially shown again that the market has tended to kind of rotate rather than back off across the board, and so uh, they're firmed up a little bit today. But I think the bigger point is that um, that they have uh, participated to some degree with, as yields uh, have gone higher. They've responded well as. Uh, as others have said, you know utilities and things like that have really, uh, really crashed.
5: Yeah. And we're having this conversation about markets higher, despite the fact that Apple is lower. It's down about yep. 2% right now. It's just slipped back below that $3 trillion market cap uh, level this morning. It's um, almost
3: as if it's not a bellwether,
5: which so I love to say. This is where I was going to go, because also, I know I asked you this yesterday on Overtime, this idea of as goes Apple, so goes the market. Should have trusted case you. case in point, yeah. not happening. Yes. No, I should have trusted you. The only <laughs>
4: thing I, we haven't mentioned, I want to get on the record, is Tupperware uh, restructuring oh, yeah. some of their existing debt shares of 46. And IEP, as um, Icons cuts the dividend in half, Hindenburg says they're still short, uh, down almost 30%. Yeah. Big movers.
3: Yeah. Big, big uh, s- sort of story stock movers uh, around the edges uh, as well, for sure.
4: As we go to break, let's get the bond report. As we said, the yields are lower in the wake of the jobs number today. Uh, After the week we've had, obviously, it's going to give some relief to the bulls with the Dow up 190, 4530. Don't go anywhere.
5: Well, the S&P might be higher right now, but these are the biggest laggards on the index. Sportnet, after disappointing earnings, stocks down about 25%. You've got other cyber names like Palo Alto Networks trading lower in sympathy. Also, ResMed on earnings, Microchip. Speaking of semiconductors and some of the weakness we've seen there in this uh, earnings cycle, that's down 7% as well. We're back in two. Welcome back. Check out shares of another big mover this morning, Icon Enterprises, sinking after cutting its dividend. It's down about 26 27% right now. Dom Chu is tracking the action. Hi, Dom.
0: And not just off, I mean, just off the worst levels of the session, Morgan, but, but to your point, it's not just cutting it, it's slashing it by half. Icon Enterprise is announcing that its normal distribution per depository unit this time around would be a dollar a quarter. That's down from the two dollars that typically happens. And this is, by the way, the first time that the firm has cut its dividend payment going all the way back to 2011. The stock reaction to the downside is notably forceful to the tune of that 28% drop that we're seeing on much heavier than typical volume. It's already traded over 1.8 million shares on average, just for context over the last couple of weeks, trades roughly 700,000 shares on a full day basis. But there are those who have been pointing out that a cut in the dividend payout was not out of the realm of reason, given all the allegations made months ago at this point by short seller Hindenburg Research, which accused Icon Enterprises of operating what they called a Ponzi-like structure to fund and make those dividend payments. Now, Hindenburg also claimed that Icon Enterprises was overvalued with that dividend payment structure and that that payment structure was not sustainable also alleging that Carl Icahn himself had used his shares in the company as collateral to take out personal loans. Icahn has, by the way, since restructured many of those loans and has called the Hindenburg claims misleading overall. But if you take a look, Carl, at the way things are shaping up right now, this is a very big name in the world of hedge funds. I will also point out that Icahn has said that they're going to return back to some of their core competencies and strengths in terms of managing money in activism and those types of strategies. So we'll see how these things shake out. Shares down 26 percent, Carl.
4: Interesting to see him get a taste of uh, the medicine he's been uh, doling out for years. Uh, Don, thanks. Dominic Chu. And the meme madness continues meantime. Tupperware up another 50 percent in today's trade. A day after the company announced a debt restructuring deal, Uh, Another cautionary tale, Mike, some say in shorting.
3: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I mean, the setup here was at a minimal equity value going into this period when it started to bounce. Now, it was in noncompliance with some, you know, uh, credit agreements or was at risk of not making those payments. Uh, They have had problems with reporting their formal financials. So a lot of issues got resolved here, at least in part. Very, very tiny market cap. The lottery tickets paid off in the short term.
4: Still to come, we're going to check in with the Goldman's Jan Hatz. He has to talk about the jobs number today and what it may mean for the Fed in the weeks to come. With We're off the session highs, but Dow's up 120. Back in two. You've been listening to the opening hour
0: of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Squawk on the Street disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Squawk on the Street disclaimer. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it
1: alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track, we care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.